welcome to Europa Rama, a podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro and I am the author of Disco Sour, a novel about Europe and democracy in the age of algorithms. At Europa Rama, we use science fiction to explore multiple narratives for the future of Europe and storytelling as a tool to create space for a European imagination. This episode, we will discover how the last king of the Belgians becomes the first emperor of Europe. The time has come for Europe to reinvent herself. Like a snake that throws off its old nasty skin. You just heard the clip from The Barefoot Emperor a film directed by Jessica Woodworth and Peter Brosens that was screened at the Contemporary World Cinema section of the 2019 Toronto International Film Festival, at the Ghent Film Festival and many other film festivals across Europe. And I'm very excited today to have Jessica with me uh, to discuss about the movie which is hitting the Belgian cinemas this week. Hello, Jessica. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's it's an honor and a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Jessica is a Belgium-American film director and screenwriter. She grew up between Europe and the US and uh, she studied literature, classical theater and documentary filmmaking, as well as multiple languages. She has a lot of talents and she's known for the critically acclaimed and award-winning films Kadak, Altiplano, uh, La Cinquième Saison, and The King of the Belgians, who is a sort of prequel of The Barefoot Emperor, but we will get there soon. The reason why I'm particularly happy and excited is because this is the first time for Europa Rama to go cinematographic, uh, in the sense that it's the first time that we are both discussing a movie and both discussing with the movie director in this podcast. But also because I'm a big fan of the work of Jessica and Peter and I've seen the movie just a couple of days ago and I have waited until now to discuss with her the many questions, the many feelings that I've been having after this movie and so on. But first and, and foremost, let's, let's get this straight to our listener, Jessica. What is the Barefoot Emperor about? Yeah, um, so it's a very non-traditional follow-up to King of the Belgians, uh, which was a mockumentary from 2016, where a sort of awkward and um, (laughs) ill-fated King of the Belgians fictional character uh, finds himself in Istanbul on a state visit and hears the news that Wallonia has declared its independence. And this launches a very uh, rambunctious trip uh, back across the, the Balkans with his entourage um, uh, incognito. And uh, this is all viewed and experienced through the prism of uh, a British documentary filmmaker who happened to be at the right place at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a mockumentary, but it's loaded with very authentic and uh, charming encounters with people across the Balkans. He was like uh, <laughs> a journalist embedded in the, in, in the mission, something like that, right? A little bit of a creepy paparazzi. Okay. Just got, yeah, hired by the queen. He was supposed to sort of, you know, freshen up the image of this very dull king. 
king. <laughs> and he got he got very lucky. <laughs> Urs- Ursula the queen. Yes, Queen Ursula. Queen Ursula. Ursula. We will get back to Queen Ursula <laughs> later. And very interesting name choice back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, unintentionally. Yeah. Now it resonates in a certain way. And so she's an ambitious queen who, um, who yeah, had, had brought in this British. Who better than a Brit? I mean, she couldn't hire a, a French-speaking Belgian or a Flemish uh, Belgian. It had to be a BBC. It had to be a BBC. It had to be a Brit. The Brit. Yeah. Had to be a Brit. So it's it's sort of it's sort of uh, constructed around his sensibility and his humor, with the obvious limitations that we placed around the storytelling, which was that it had to be feasible, that it was only stuff he could capture. So there's all these borders, ethical borders, and so it's also playing it with form. You know, looking at documentary, mockument in a mockumentary mm-hmm, form, mm-hmm. but most importantly, looking at Europe and uh, and this uh, this rather awkward king who. Who who has been very isolated for decades, and then when he's finally an anonymous and charging across the Balkans in various uh, forms of transport, <laughs> be it in a bus, a, a stolen ambulance, or, or, or a ramshackle boat, <laughs> um, he he uh, he actually wakes up to the fact that he's just but a man. You know, he's but a man. Briefly on Earth, and uh, and and for the first time is is. Uh, Um, in touch with the real people, right. and this wakes up in him a sort a certain uh, hunger and a yearning to 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 be ordinary and be in touch with the ordinary people. I mean, those are the people he's representing and speaking for. And you know, King of the Belgians, which our King here is really of the, he's of the Bel- yeah. he's supposed to be of the people. Yeah, I I, I, <laughs> I read it almost like a coming of age kind of story. Yeah, you know, like he, he, in in a very a coming of age of a certain kind of age. You know, yeah, not, he's not, in his fifties. He's in his fifties, but it's like a child. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah. awakening up and discovering itself himself and his senses as well. I mean, he's yeah. starting to hear again and smell and taste. I mean, and he gets, laugh and and yeah. Yeah, and playful. I mean, he takes on the guise of being just a, a reporter from Belgium when they encounter the mayor of a village in Bulgaria, and I mean, it's yeah. hilarious. It's actually the real mayor, and it's all improvised. And <laughs> but yeah, what what results are some very gorgeous moments that are full of full of authenticity, even though it was semi-scripted. <laughs> but so, what happens to the king of the Belgians uh, a few? Yeah. Years later, but actually not really cinematographically. <laughs> it's just few moments later. But basically, what happens to the kings of Belgium well, the in the barefoot in the barefoot emperor? Yeah, so we shot uh, King of the Belgians in 2015, released it in 2016. But in the shooting there, the original intention was that he was going to meet a, a rather um, <laughs> a gruesome end when he gets embroiled in a, in a, in a situation in Sarajevo. Surprise, surprise in Sarajevo. <laughs> Sarajevo, so on their, on, their, on their sort of roundabout way home overland across the Balkans, the, the, the deal is that the, the Belgian military will pick them up in Sarajevo, that's where the handover will take place, and uh, it happens to be the 28th of June, and there just happens to be a recreation of the assassination of Franz Ferdinand going on, and there happens to be a really dim-witted uh, Belgian sniper on a rooftop who, you know, misreads the situation and thinks that <laughs> Gavrilo Princip is, poses a threat to the king, and the king happens to be extremely tall and in the way of the bullet, so the bullet strikes him in the ear. But okay, so we shot this really <laughs> super expensive, complicated scene at the end of shooting of King of the Belgians, and then during the during the editing torture 
torturous editing process which took nine months it was really like giving birth um, uh, half beyond halfway through we thought my gosh this story doesn't end at all with him being shot down in Sarajevo so that was chucked to the wayside it had so it's a bit like an example of the famous <laughs> mantra kill your darling Yeah, anyway, yeah, he was shot down, we shot it down, we shot him out of the editing, <laughs> so that ended up on the floor, and um, which was fine, we have no problem letting go of things that actually don't organically fit in the story, it had to end in a, in a really a sparkling, charming way, which was, you know, we had to ver be very respectful of what the raw material presented to us, you know, right. so we go, okay, let go, the script is dead anyway, that's just an idea that didn't somehow work out. So a week before the world premiere of King of the Belgians, in, uh, in, which was in Venice, in 2000, Venice Film Festival in 2016, We had a sort of two-day slot, three days of of, uh, of, of of downtime, jumped on any flight Ryanair that we could find, and we ended up in Croatia. And I was like, yeah, we're in, 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 uh, in sort of nearby Pula, and, um, uh, and ended up just by chance on Tito's Island. I mean, uh, I'm obsessed since... Uh, uh, since uh, Uh, forever with uh, dictators and their doings and mm. undoings, <laughs> you can say. <laughs> it seemed very natural. It was like, okay, Matita, very unknown. I knew nothing of this place. We had never been there. We'd never really knew anything about it, even though it had played such a formidable uh, 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 role in, in the unfolding of 20th century history. So, like, so we arrived on the island, very quiet. There's You know, very, very few, there were no tourists there. It's kind of expensive to reach the islands. So there's mm. not floods of tourists. It's mm. very under the radar. There's a sort of, you know, kind of very crumbling kind of sanatorium. And then there's a <laughs> museum with on the first floor the stuffed animals of uh, from Tito's uh, time. And then the second floor, uh, hundreds of, of photos in a gallery, a photo gallery of all the guests that visited Tito. And we're like, my God, this is fantastic. Fantastic! It's Was really the perfect a setting for a movie. Yes, and then so then you see the flora fauna, and then these odd animals uh, prancing around, you know, um, peacocks uh, shrieking <laughs> through the night, and uh, the the an odd elephant who was indeed a gift from Indira Gandhi. For so, so so the animals that that are still roaming in in the island were still from Tito's time. Some Absolutely. of them. Absolutely, and that's why there's all these displaced creatures, uh, zebras and things, things that are come brought from Africa, South America, oh, wow. the llama running around. These are all. <laughs> <laughs> or they're literally the the, the, the animals that you know in that Tito's way. day were there. Yeah. I mean, Koki, Tito's uh, bird, uh, uh, parrots is the this is this was Tito's bird, but you know they live a long time, and so there he you know oh there he God. is. It's really his bird, and he's really foul mouthed. It's hilarious. He's full of nasty things to say, and he's always. I, mean, I don't want to repeat them here. <laughs> to filming with Koki was quite an experience. He wouldn't he wouldn't keep quiet. So it's like. I mean, he's full of he's full of trash. So, <laughs> really foul mouthed bird. So anyway, he's, this is a real thing. And like, for example, there is an elephant on the island, uh, Lanka, who was indeed a gift from Indira Gandhi. She brought two elephants to the island. So what what the uh, character in the film says is actually true. Um, and then the, there's this gorgeous Cadillac. That's Tito's car. So the film is actually populated with all these you know, mm. rich true stories. But the the the, the island was also hosted. You know all the, the the aristocracy and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They all came there to play polo, and you know, in 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 in, in the in more the, distant in the old past, days. Uh, yeah, and then and then in the more distant past. I mean, the 
Knights Templar were there. I mean, there's a quarry. A lot of stones were were brought from a quarry there and, and ended up building buildings of Venice. I mean, there's just layers and everything. There are even dinosaur ba- prints. Basically, basically, it seems like it's a small microcosm for the whole continent history. You know, like from the east to the west and and yes. lot of layers of things. So it must have inspired a lot of uh, symbolic. Uh, Immediately, and then it's uh, there's uh, just just thinking that just de- just several decades ago, I mean, Tito was hosting people there in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, it's extraordinary the people who passed uh, through to drink wine with him and stroll the shore. Right. Uh, it's all the kings and queens of those of that time. It's all the presidents and prime ministers from both blocks, and the fact that he forged all these alliances uh, to sort of counter the Soviet uh, uh, force and and the Americans. So there, there was people sort of gathering around him, his charisma and his his uh, genius of diplomacy. I mean, look what he did. Not only did he f- do that, but he also safeguarded his own region yeah. against implosion, which you know, of course, subsequently happened anyway. But what? And so, and so when you arrived there, you were like, you know, Ooh. you had all this boom, weight of history and, and, and all this symbolism and all this uh, glamour going crumbling down, kind of. Yeah. And you got inspired for the follow up of the Kings of the Belgians. Yes. Yeah, so it was very obvious to us that this is a setting and a set that, that provided... Uh, huge amounts of inspiration. There's not much to see. There's just, you know, a couple of animals running around in a sort of sad-looking infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> But you have to you have to believe in it and then you have yeah. to come and you have to impose your vision on it. You have to trust it as yeah. well. So but, but the, that what history was offering, which is invisible, was so rich we can't resist. But then also the physical encounter with the space of the strange sounds and these birds and all these misplaced everything is that, uh, slightly out of balance. You have to be very alert and you know we have to respond on a very personal level to, to this to even begin to imagine trying to create a film there no one in the region has made a film there right. and we had just the right amount of distance time and space geographic distance to read it in a certain way and experience it in a certain way and then feel immediately its potential and so it was a flash it was the first uh, evening was also a couple of little uh, moments were were signs almost like little signals that uh, there's something that there's magic here there was something a, that is called Calling you? Yeah, but no, I'm not so. That sounds a bit spooky. But, <laughs> no, but, uh, but uh, there was this rather pear-shaped, large uh, waiter strolling around the empty terrace that first night there, and he had a dozen wine glasses in his hand, held upside down, you know, between his fingers, and cling, 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 cling. And there was a there was a hedgehog following him around. The entire mm. it was hilarious. There was just something so surreal about this this man drifting around with his wine glasses, and the, the, there was something so odd, and it seemed to fit so naturally there in the space. And the next morning, there's a, the other side of the island to where the animals are, are, are roaming basically free. There's a little uh, place where you, uh, a hut next to Lanka the elephant, where there's you can get a, a coffee or an ice cream. And uh, Marco is the one who runs that uh, the hut, and he he arrives on the boat every morning. He has a bow tie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. suit tuxedo he blasts Verdi over the hills oh, yeah. wow and so we arrive on bicycles and he's feeding potato chips to a goat with Verdi <laughs> rolling over him and Lanka is there with her you know her you know sort of lounging there at the fence uh, nearby 
guy looking at the situation. I mean, it's just hysterical. You think, oh my gosh, and then you know that Lanka was brought by Indira Gandhi, and then, you know, she's still there wondering, you know, what is, what is the fate of humanity, humans? So she's on one side of the fence, and she's looking at this. You know, it's just fantastic. It's so inspiring. But then, of course, we had in hand already this sequence where the, the king is shot down. So I thought, looking at the material, we had done that take where he actually is shot and falls 23 times. But we thought, a couple of the takes, you can actually believe that he's struck in the ear. Mm. Yeah, so, all right. So, there, okay, he's struck in the ear and he wakes up here on this island, you know, very disoriented with, you know, hearing that's gone, you know, a bit off and uh, his balance has gone off and he wakes up in a fog and not in, in understanding immediately where he is and why. Um, but his, you know, his his um, his memory is intact. He starts to piece, uh, uh, put the pieces together again, and understands quickly that he's been there a few days. He was knocked out, you know, <laughs> by the incident <laughs> in Sarajevo, and uh, and his entourage is, you know, is is, around, uh, is there, you know, uh, very uh, earnest and, and distressed, leaning over his bed, and they're all dressed in white, and he thinks like, I was, "What is it? Where am I? Is, am, where, I am I? Am I? Am I dead?" <laughs> <laughs> he definitely thinks he's dead, but he's not. He's in Croatia, so on, on Tito's island, and so slowly we stay close to his uh, sensibility and his perception. So he, we're, the viewer is left a little bit in the fog as well in the beginning, like trying to understand what's what are they doing there, and what, what, why why did he end up being parked there, and eventually we understand that there's a larger, in, in the bigger picture with a Europe that is kind of stalled, that is on hold, in fact, and in fact, maybe on fire even, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that uh, he's been slated to, uh, he's definitely a candidate, prime candidate to become uh, the emperor of a new Europe. Nova Europa. <laughs> so speaking about Nova Europa, because that's very much uh, meat for Europa Rama, uh, <laughs> Um, you, you, you have this vision basically uh, at some point uh, in the movie it's, it's, there is, it's done in a very delicate manner you know like it's not on your face you, you, you discover it like little by little like the that, king like the king you know yeah. like exactly you really are like the king as, as, a, as a spectator you know um, like discovering what has been going on and, and like all of a sudden from a moment where you are like surprised, you think, okay, this is just a bunch of lunatics who are in the island and okay, maybe it's funny, but uh, you know, something not so harmful is going on. But then you start to see that there is some sort of dark side of what, what's happening. You start to feel that, you know, yeah, something bad, something bad is going on and that, You, the Europe, as we know, it's not there anymore. That that mm -hmm. that Europe is gone, and mm -hmm. we don't know what it what it is. What 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 is going to, you know, um, uh, what's coming? What's coming? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there is all this like moment, you know. I think that is suspended in time. It's a limbo. It's feeling. kind of a limbo. Yeah, yeah, this limbo feeling. Purgatory, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> kind yeah. of like yeah. you, really where you know something really bad happened. The world as we knew it, or Europe as we knew it, is not there anymore. Yeah. But there is no such a moment. It's not already in the moment in time where the the change of regime is is there right and it's one of those kind of moments in history which might be the interesting from one hand but like one of the most scary kind of 
Yeah. And and I think that this feeling was was I mean at least when I watched the movie I had this feeling at some point you know uh, halfway through I yeah. started to get this feeling more and more and more and more and more and more. Good. How, how did you how how did you build it up and what was your idea and intention about yeah. building this kind you know like not saying too much about what actually is going on in the rest mm-hmm. of the continent but providing a world of of inspiration in the mind of the viewers. Yeah to make in their own mind about what can go wrong with yeah. Europe today. Yeah. So it's um from the from the outset the the sort of tone and temperature and timbre of the story was sort of uh built around the idea that it's the calm before a storm. Mm. A bit like this and sort of a sense of suspension. Yeah. And that it can shift a little bit towards horror. <laughs> yeah. So the question, the, 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 what we needed to do is really to look at the dose, the dosages of information and, and uh, references, historical references. So not because it, it remains uh, to balance the light and the dark, which was the biggest challenge, in fact, to keep the, the, the rhythm uh, moving forward in the, in the right uh, tempo. And not weighing it down and having it all crumble under uh, uh, too many historical references, and not not becoming a history lesson either for the for the viewer. So this was the biggest challenge to find that hmm. balance. So, but yeah, indeed. So as we, as you mentioned, we stay close to the sensibility of the king. Yeah, who's a little bit confused, <laughs> especially in the beginning, and uh, learns you know that uh, the, the the you know European Parliament has been dissolved, the Commission is par- you know paralyzed, that uh, nothing's functioning anymore. But it seems, and you learn uh, along the way that the 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 center, the gravity has moved from from Brussels to Vienna. Yeah, so this is one. This is when we had to decide. Okay, do we make we make one small, you know, mm. co- comment on this? But you understand, ah, the power has shifted to another capital, which mm-hmm. is of course believable. Uh, it is believable. So yes. we, we went over the months and years of creating the story. Like we went through all the options, and we always sort of turned, came back to Vienna for obvious reasons. Yeah, past well, and present. Yeah, exactly. And uh, past and present. So thought, okay, yeah. B- b- power could sort of center around that and in a vacuum a potential vacuum then there's definitely a lot of individuals and organizations that have been in the shadows who could potentially mobilize and yeah alliances that were existing and percolating under the surface for years that all of a sudden uh, gather around a new vision and uh, we wanted to bring in uh, Uh, one of the architects of this new vision, and that's the character of Dr. Ilse von Stroheim, <laughs> who, who, who arrives in the story on a yeah. wave of Wagner. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's super provocative. It's super provocative. <laughs> I, I have to say that uh, even before uh, she arrives, uh, you know, like there is a lot of the iconography that you use, which of course... Uh, y- you have a lot of references to the past and so on, but there's also quite some references to the present. Yeah. As you say, the um, identitarian movements in in that part of Europe, uh, they've been using quite a lot of those uh, visions that might be a little bit candid, uh, like, you know, even just people, how they've been dressing in 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 your sanatorium doing physical exercises doing <laughs> doing yoga in the morning like the you know things that might seem at some point playing a little bit with with some of the 
you know, more like healthy lifestyle kind of thing, but with little twists, you know. And that's where it becomes a little bit spooky because it becomes really much, if you look at some actually political advertisements for for uh, for uh, the, the, the the youth of the, the uh, identitarian movements in, in, in Germany and in Austria, they look pretty much similar yeah. to what you've been doing or in, in the movie yeah. and and that that was like striking me how you managed to have this uh, really pulled in into a very surreal landscape where it you know like it, it it blends in the story in a very harmonious manner kind of you know uh, but still the message is there it's like it's the elephant in the room yeah speaking the about elephant. the elephant <laughs> the king says twice you're an elephant yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but we never see it. In we the never film. see it. Yeah, but there is. It's there. It's there. Yeah, it's there. And and uh, and I have to say that you played that very very subtly and and very well. But it's there. And and you say yeah. You 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 clearly you clearly show the dangers that uh, the current situation when it comes to uh, uh, you know. Um, closing off the continent rather than opening it up. Sure. Uh, this is like uh, the, the main big strong political message, I would say, that uh, that comes through the world sure. movie. Yeah. And how did you approach that? Because I also imagine that why you were having the idea of the movie until when you got the realization, a lot of things have been happening in, yeah. real, in real life, on real, real history. You have references to refugees. You have references to migration okay. flows and so on. You know, how how did you build it up? You know, yeah, uh, step by step. But of course, reality is sort of catching up with us constantly. In an early version of the script, Catalonia declared its independence, and <laughs> we're like, well, maybe we should take that out. You dropped it out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should take that out of. The, but that, no, the sources. I mean, the motor behind it indeed is this concern. Yeah, this concern about this shift. Uh, like, and and then and then recognizing that the, in the behavior of people and their usage of language, it harkens back to ugh, scary periods of history. So of course, we're looking in the twenties and the thirties. And looking at you know how fast people mobilized, how mm. fast people made compromises, mm. how quick they were, you know, as soon as they felt you know uh, um, uh, in a comfort zone, how fast they can collectively turn ugly, yeah. And so, of course, you know, looking at the sort of more iconic. Uh, uh, use of, uh, of of imagery and from from for example the works of Lenny Riefenstahl is mm. uh, one one example how we decided to film these bodies and these exercises and all these oh, youth yeah. groups yeah, yeah. it's definitely it an absolute reference yeah. to 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 those times and but here it is around us uh, everywhere today uh, thriving quietly scarily <laughs> yeah and then and then other other aspects of the story I mean uh, <laughs> I if, I may, if I may if I may add something on this like as you say. Uh, you might see these things thriving and normalizing. I mean, it's uh, this is a little bit the scary part of the of the thing. Like how it's possible that this kind of imagery and 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 language and, and symbolism and behavior it starts to blend into an accepted kind of norm norm normative norm core uh, you know behavior or. La it's terrifying like, or like how those kind of messages have been like plugging in into I don't know the need for um, uh, I don't know uh, organic food or whatever you know like <laughs> yeah, the, the way you present food in the in the um, 
in the movie as well, like how something that at the beginning might be seen as innocuous, even mm -hmm. almost like progressive yeah. or like something that is, um, you know, Harm harmless, harmless. Yeah. 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 Because at the beginning, it all seems so harmless mm. in the island. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you you see what is the other phase. I, I see a lot of this in what's going on in, in our daily life. I mean, I see it every day. I live in Flanders. <laughs> True. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> things that are acceptable there now are not acceptable in the past. A behavior, how people speak, and their, and their, yeah, it's. I mean, well, we all know Belgium is is very split, uh, and uh, there's a lack of, uh, yeah, we're really two. There's really two camps, you can say. Um, if you look at the voting patterns and uh, all the the tendencies now, so I'm sitting in a kind of quite, uh, you can say. Um, healthy <laughs> environment in Ghent, but elsewhere in Flanders, it's frightening. Mm. In my mm. point of view, mm -hmm. it's frightening what's become acceptable uh, in in daily behavior, the patterns and the, the speech. And Indeed. Indeed, yeah, the borders are shifting fast. But if you look at the past, it can happen overnight. Uh, as soon as feel, as soon as people feel like they're entitled to express their true opinions look at look at the states <laughs> yeah yeah it's really yeah, fast yeah, i mean it can I, be I'm very fast yeah very fast that people can all of a sudden show their true their true uh, uh, beliefs uh, as soon as there there's there are a number of people around them doing the same it's quick that step is taken mm. very swiftly yeah. and that's what's scary Yeah, that's that's, really that's scary. super scary. It's because in Italy you see it, in Germany you yeah. see it, in Austria, and in Poland. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. In Hungary mm. and in Spain, I mean, look, I mean, everywhere the people are comfortable showing that facet of their of their of their their morality. You can say, which for some of us, I mean, my, myself included, is poisonous and rotten and extremely dangerous. Yes, I mean that's uh, why, for example, the choices in the film. I mean the. Do, uh, Dr. Kroll, the head of the sanatorium, was incarnated by Udo Kier, a very mm. iconic and very provocative the, figure. An, icon anyway. an iconic bad guy of the cinema. <laughs> Terrible. He does it so well. Uh, <laughs> so he's hilarious. We had long discussions, Udo and I, about his black crow. He's like, I'm sure it should be called Faust. And I'm like, no, 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 no. His name is Duce. <laughs> There's a lot of discussion around this. Uh, Duce. Yes, I mean, of course, it was Duce in the end. <laughs> But speaking, speaking about iconic people that you have in the, in in your movie mm -hmm. and and also this like kind of operation that that you do so in such delicate manner to put the past in a dialogue with the present and and the future as well because it's we don't really know where and when this is happening you know it's kind of near future uh you know it's 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 not exactly in in the present but but you you connect so well to another you know master of of uh, first of all european uh european cinema and 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 iconic kind of uh, heritage heritage yeah, yes yeah. When it comes to denouncing through cinema the coming of dictatorships, the coming of fascism, and that, of course, I'm thinking about uh, the, the Greek dictator, which which uh, I think was released probably 80 years ago. Yeah, 1940. So he shot uh, Charlie Chaplin shot the Great Dictator in 1939. Took a six month period, and and it was in cinemas throughout the war. I mean, in London, packed in Paris. 
strange to it's, imagine this. It's huh? very to strange it. to imagine this. And he said, though, he said a year or two later, he said, gosh, if I had known where we were heading and what was really coming, you know, uh, you know, on on our horizon, I I never would have been able to to make this film. So it was just at the eve of of uh, of the horror. Uh, yeah, and 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 you have this kind of feeling there, but you also have clear references to maybe unintentional references, but having Geraldine Chaplin playing in the movie, especially a double role, a double role, <laughs> yeah. but also like at some point there are. It's clear also the Emperor has some, uh, you know, uh, s- some references. I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but <laughs> at some point you really see that there is a, an homage, you know, like uh, uh, to the great dictator and to Charlie Chaplin that is done in a very, a very nice, subtle manner. I don't know if this was intentional, if it just came so natural that it's just there, you know, you can see that it was not pushed. Uh, It came very naturally. In fact, I mean, uh, Geraldine Chaplin, his daughter, I mean, she has a formidable career. She's now, you know, well into her 70s. And she, uh, you know, the role of Lady Liz uh, uh, was written for her. She had seen King of the Belgians and I met with her in Switzerland and she was immediately our closest ally, intellectual ally in the film. She and I never spoke about her father. <laughs> Still to this day, wow. I don't, of course his his presence. Yeah, it's there. You it's know. there. But we 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 mean the, the great dictator came up in sort of in passing. But it was so it was so obvious. It was like didn't have to even be mentioned yeah. in a way. Mm. And, she, and, and she was cast really specifically for her talent and her aura, persona, intelligence, her courage. And uh, and then the Lady Liz, uh, her character as a fragile, possibly, well, anyway, damaged uh, survival, uh, survivor of, um, of a concentration camp, mm. Polish-born. Yep. Uh, so this is something very... Um, Uh, difficult to carry for an actress, and, uh, and so we we prepared that for a long time together. How do you? How does that live inside you? How does that? And then at a second level, at a second phase, came in the 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 playing Dr. Ilse von Stroheim, her twin. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of. It was not the intention in the beginning. It sort of became obvious very late in the process. And in fact, we had a German, a very, very fine German actress uh, lined up to play the role of Dr. Ilse von Stroheim, the architect of Nova Europa. But in the story was already the character of Agatha, her twin. And then Hannah Laura Elsner, the, the German actress, was ill and she couldn't uh, participate. It was very last minute, but it was... Yeah, I mean, it was it was so obvious that in fact, of course, Geraldine has to has to incarnate both roles. It was so obvious. It was like, why didn't we see this from the start? You know, of course, naturally, she's, you know, she she, you know, sort of charging into the story halfway through comes the double. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And she's, you know, she 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 gave it. You know, she was sort of pause for thought. You know, when I so I, I you know we asked her, how do you feel about incarnating the darker side? And she was up to the, you know, she was she up was to up the to challenge the immediately. She was like, wacky, I love it. So she's like, that's, you know, she's like, this is really fantastic because uh, her double sort of arrived, you know, on the bow of a ship on this, uh, this thunderous wave of Wagner, totally ridiculous um, and hilarious, uh, accompanied by a spoof of the Vienna Boys Choir. Yeah. 
<laughs> singing We Will Rise, the new anthem, which erases Beethoven off the planet of Something Europe. in between Beethoven and um, uh, what's the name of this group from... Leibach. Leibach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Leibach is a formidable for <laughs> source of inspiration. So great. What a what a delicate line they, they march along. Oh my God, I love them just so much. Anyway, Geraldine was uh, totally up to the task. And of course, that brings in the question. I mean, her playing uh, the twin, Dr. Ilse von Stroheim, if, you, if you're familiar with the history, a viewer is familiar with the, those times and Polish-born uh, children who were not of Jewish uh, um, descent, who were who could be potentially raised as a fine young little Aryan, yeah. uh, were kidnapped. And there's yeah. just Tons were kidnapped, many never, they are alive today, some, several, many thousands uh, they have, have no, no idea that they, they were idea. born Polish. Yeah. So, in fact, that fit into this, this part, it's, it's actually feasible yeah. that the twin was snatched up by a, yeah. a nice, you know, camp family and raised as a, in Bielefeld as a, as a, as a, as a fine little And some, somehow you, you square the circle, you know, like you really... Uh, managed to to bring all these historical layers of the history of Europe together uh, projected into the future in the in the present and I have to say this is like I mean a complication in the like it's not easy to put all this together in a comedy because in the end of the day it's still a comedy for some it's a horror film Somehow. and some it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> but yeah let's say to put it into one script yeah. all together in a way that blends harmoniously without, you know, being, you know, dosage, you know, it was all all very well um, balanced. I think that's that's really a work of art from from you and Peter uh, and, and the way you've been you've been doing and from the actors and the cast which which are just simply amazing. They they were very on board, body and soul. I mean the, the preparation involved visiting Dachau and going to Hitler's nest and marching across the Austrian Alps together uh, while discussing the script. I mean a lot of laughter but a lot of somber moments too to get a grip on the on the darker side of the story i thought it was important to actually go and just face face those years face those memories face, imagine and to imagine them uh, and so it came you know this heavy baggage had to be dragged yeah, along had, as well it had to be there yeah because i mean yeah this this dark side is is uh, 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 could only resonate fully if there was you know if if, if it was really um, really spoken of yeah. amongst us yeah. late at night over weeks months uh, yeah and it's a baggage that should have been there since the king wakes up and yeah. for every single people of the entourage they have to act as everything is fine but they need to <laughs> yeah need especially to chef protocol who sort of has a breakdown pretty yes, quickly exactly and, uh, they're trying to sustain this facade of calm and, and dignity because, you know, their behavior is what creates the king. I mean, a, a monarch is, is actually created by the behavior of the people around him. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, and they're trying to sustain this and they fail miserably, and uh, <laughs> which is quite funny. But, yeah, they're, they're, there's slow, slow, this uh, foreboding and a slow uh, uh, panic that takes over, and uh, which is, of course, all amplified by the fact that the, the valet, who's the most down-to-earth dude, uh, uh, played by Titus de Vogt, he's, he's just like, all right, there's, we're, we're, you know, we're, 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 you know, 
we're trapped here. I'm off, man. I'm going to swim off and find <laughs> us a boat. And what does he do? He, he sort of gets swept away by the currents and crosses paths with a bunch of Sikhs <laughs> on their way back to Italy. So, and then in, it brings in, it folds in a story. In a submarine. <laughs> it's a little bit like the spaceship scene in Life of Brian, you know, where the, like, the spaceship <laughs> like comes all in, of like, a like all of a sudden yeah. there's this like space scene. But yeah, the Sikhs arrive in the story. And this is a really fascinating tangent of the story, which is, is brief on screen, but very potent. I mean, these Sikhs, I spent a lot of time in Italy meeting the communities and who work in the North, especially in agricultural and, and, and who really have, uh, who are responsible for saving Parmigiano cheese. Yeah, it's true. And it's a true story. It's and so I was like, story, this yeah. is too fabulous to let, you know, to, to leave behind. And the fact that many of them were sent, you know, sent running back to, uh, yeah. you know, decades back to, to India because they didn't have the right papers, paper problems yeah. is what we call it in the film and uh, and that and that in fact with all the climate uh, turbulence that the, the, they, the they go coastal back. cities are being yeah. you know flooded and so yeah they're coming back to try a second chance to get back to yeah. their to their communities in Italy and so they're climate refugees they just happen to be in a very silly tourist submarine which is which is it was there anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so and they and they and they, of course the first scene you know there we we discover them in in the birdcage and and i was like there's all very delicate stuff so you have these you know these sikhs very dignified yeah, uh, yeah they're they're so they're 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 full of uh, humor and humility and, and class classy act man and the, 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 to, to have to explain to them okay well the first scene you're, all, you're actually all locked up in a birdcage they thought this was hilarious they were completely understood the humor and all the sort of yeah, jesting the, yeah, yeah. And they loved it they were there in Torino Film Festival all of them and all of their extended families oh, nice. to experience it with the Italian public they thought this was just fantastic and because they I mean they're a, they're a large very large community in Italy completely under the radar mm -hmm. misunderstood I mean they're, they're not Muslim but I mean anyone who yeah, doesn't know anything yeah, about yeah. the Sikhs really what it's a pity because they, they they live there you know in harmony and they're totally integrated and they contribute to the economy and they're yeah they're, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a It's a success story, you can say. Of course, there's some difficulties they face, of course. But I could say it's a sort of under-the-radar story, a wonderful story. I mean, the press... We never hear about these success stories of of of, uh, of, of immigrant communities that have, have, have uh, yeah have settled and, and thrive. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I thought that, and, and the fact that they're also just in one phrase say uh, with a bit of a you know off the cuff yeah we're climate refugees. <laughs> But indeed that was the, the intention was that it was supposed to hit, strike the king. Ah yeah, gosh, if I'm a if I'm a you know public figure and I'm I'm. You know, I've got the reins of power, you know, as emperor. If I'm sort of sitting near seats of power or somehow, yeah, and this, this is going to be one of the challenges I'm going to have to face and be able to understand and get my head around, yeah, yeah as a leader, yeah. as a potential leader of, of Europe. Of Nova climate, Europa. Of Nova Europa. Of I mean, Nova the, the climate Europa. refugees, that's the, the next tsunami is this. Yeah, exactly. That is the next tsunami. Yeah. So it has its place in the story and it's carried very gracefully and in a totally absurd manner by this no, Sikhs it's, to it's arrive. A, it's <laughs> very well done. I would like to conclude uh, by uh, telling our listeners where they can watch the movie Uh, here in Brussels. Yeah, so there, there's a very... Yeah, the film goes uh, all over the world, actually, uh, you know, from, from Taipei to, uh, to Cairo to whatever, in festivals and... Uh, 
um, yes, very appreciated. But the distribution in Belgium is always very, very big challenge. It's even more difficult to distribute than it is to actually make the film. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we'll be unfortunately that's been the case for all of our films. But okay, uh, but uh, but uh, in Aventure in, in Brussels, it will be showing from the fourth of March onwards. There's a And there, there are random screenings here and there. It'll, in other cities, it's in the art house circuit, but it will be, you know, around. And hopefully, we're we're going to give a very strong push through institutions and cine clubs. And Kinograph is a, an example of a pop up, which is showing it on the 6th of March in Brussels. Um, and uh, beyond Belgium. Beyond Belgium, it's a co-production. It's a co-production. Yeah, which yeah. is actually in, in a, another proof that Europe can function very well. Mm -hmm. So it's a co-production between Belgium, both communities. We receive support for all of our films, actually, from both sides, uh, from uh, the Netherlands, uh, Croatia, and Bulgaria. Mm. So all these communities have been taking good care of the film and releasing it. And, uh, and beyond that, it's in its festival circuit now. So it's not a blockbuster, <laughs> but there is a there is a public for this film, and it's it's also not necessarily an older public that has some you know baggage no, of no, knowledge no, no, of history. No, no. It's Absolutely. actually really the wish is really to strike a younger audience as well. I mean, it's their future. You know, it's their future. And talking about. I'm also sure that the public of Europa Rama is going to be very <laughs> much interested to, to, to watch it. So in case they are not here in Brussels, they might look for it uh, around elsewhere or... Sure, yeah, you know, it will like, be around. It will be it around. Will be around. <laughs> yeah, it will be around. We'll be, we'll be defending it and traveling with it as widely as we can for the coming months but thank you very much Jessica for joining us today for this episode of Europa Rama and, uh, and you know I'll probably watch the movie again soon because it was so dense and uh, also I recollected a lot of uh, ideas uh, that uh, that are part of my reflection about the future of Europe and, and stuff like that so thank you so much for this inspiration and I would like to thank uh, all our listeners for, for uh, being with us for this episode and they can check um, out more episodes and the other shows of the Are We Europe podcasting family and Europarama as well uh, in, uh, in the show notes I look forward to uh, host you for the next Europarama episode. <laughs> bye bye, have a good day. Bye.